We are in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're actually going to finish uh, this section today. And we're basically then done with the teaching portion of Romans. And we just kind of have some concluding thoughts. So we're basically almost done with the book. We've been in it for a while. I don't remember how long. Last week, if you weren't here, we went through uh, verses, by the way, that's page 948 if you're using one of those blue church Bibles located underneath the seats around you. Uh, Last week, we went through chapter uh, 15, verses 1 through 6, and so uh, if you remember, you could could title that section, just put other people first, put other people first, and and again, this is all within the context of chapter 14, 1, all the way uh, through chapter or chapter 15, verse 13, this whole unit, a unit that goes together. But uh, put other people first. Christ is our example. He did not please himself, right? Whether it be in his birth, his life, his death, he did not please himself. And uh, one, one person summarized the last section that we looked at before we jump into this next section is, it was Paul's call to the strong in the church, in Rome, to follow Christ's example of loving service of others as a means of bringing unity to the church. And again, if you're new and, and some of these things may not uh, make sense to you who are the strong, I would invite you, encourage you to go back, listen to the many sermons we've already done on this section of Scripture. But today, you could, you could put this title over this section, verses 7 through 13, accept one another, accept one another. And again, this is all, I've titled this whole thing, The Weak and the Strong Need to Get Along, but today, verses 7 through 13, accept one another. So what I'm going to do is, I haven't done this in a while, I'm going to read the whole thing, starting in chapter 14 at verse 1, all the way to the end, just to, to get the full context, and then we'll jump into the last part of this unit of Scripture here, which is verses 7 through 13, and finish that up today, and uh, then we'll move on and and can be concluding here soon our, our, uh, the book of Romans. So it's been a fantastic study. So if you're there, and by the way, this will be the best part of the sermon because I'm just going to read God's word to you. So um, if you're there, just follow along with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where we left off last week, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.
Wow. That was a lot, huh? I started getting tired halfway through. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, so we've, we have covered that whole section except the last uh, verses here, 7 through 13. So if, you, if you've missed anything along the way, I want to encourage you to go back. We can't possibly review everything. So, But let me just uh, take you back for a second to verse 1 of chapter uh, 14. There, Paul begins this section of Romans, and for some of you might remember this, for some of you it'll be new, but he begins that section by speaking directly to those who at that time in history, made up the majority of the church in Rome. That is those who were not weak in faith, but those who were strong, as uh, Paul later refers to them, and also, by the way, identifies with in chapter 15, verse 1, the strong. So he's, he's directing his comments, beginning in 14.1, to the strong. And speaking to the strong in 14.1, he commands them to welcome or accept the weak in faith, the weak or the weak in faith. So, bottom line, Paul opens this section of Romans by exhorting the strong to welcome the weak. You with me so far? Okay. And as I mentioned before, the, uh, the Greek verb that is translated welcome in the English Standard Version, that's the version that we happen to use here, it can also be translated accept, accept. You may have a translation that has that word in there, as it, and that's how it's translated in other Bible translations. Uh, personally, I prefer the word accept, accept, uh, since the Greek verb basically means wholehearted acceptance. A welcome is fine, welcome works too, but I would prefer the word accept because of the Greek meaning. Wholehearted acceptance. Or another way you can understand the word, the Greek word is a, a genuine and heartfelt acceptance. Okay? The strong uh, were to wholeheartedly accept the weak, to unreservedly embrace them and fully receive them into the fellowship, the local fellowship there, uh, which apparently was not happening. Therefore, we have the command. Okay? and all of the following exhortation after that command concerning the situation and the problem. Um, so also, by the way, as a reminder, the strong were predominantly what? Do you guys remember? Uh, what kind of people group were they, the strong? Gentiles. They were predominantly Gentiles, and I say predominantly, be, be, predominantly because Paul identifies with the strong in 15.1. He was a Jew. Okay? But predominantly, we've discussed all this before, they were Gentiles who had become Christians. And the weak, or the weak in faith, in this particular setting, were predominantly what? Jews, predominantly, who had become Christians, who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And I say all that because it'll become important as we move through the text here. Now, towards the end of this section, now, here we are in chapter 15, verse 7, after all that Paul has said in addressing a specific problem that had arisen between the weak and the strong and was a threat to the unity of the church, this is why Paul is addressing it. And by the way, just as a reminder, the, the problem was centered around Christian liberty. Christian liberty. And more than that, it, it, it was a problem of how they were dealing with their Christian liberty. Uh, they were dealing with it in a way 
that was not according to love or biblical love, okay? So Paul now, in his conclusion, addresses both groups, both groups. He begins by addressing the strong, and he, he'll speak, he speaks primarily to the strong, but he, he speaks to the weak as we go along. But here at the end, he's addressing both groups, both the weak and the strong, both the Jew and the Gentile, and he commands them now both, or the entire Christian community in Rome, to welcome or wholeheartedly accept one another. Okay? Remember, there's a threat to the unity of the church, and this is what Paul's really getting after. So as we consider Paul's command to accept one another, made to the two groups that made up the church in Rome, the fact that one group is predominantly Jewish and the other Gentile is something you need to keep in mind. You need to keep that in mind, otherwise you miss really what's being communicated in the, uh, really the seriousness of it. And uh, because the Gentiles, beloved, and the Jews were very, very different from one another. Okay? Very different. Uh, they had extremely different uh, uh, backgrounds and, and upbringings culturally and religiously, and really culturally because of their religion, which would have made, hear me, which would have made wholeheartedly accepting one another certainly more difficult, okay? And in addition to that, we know that generally speaking, first century Jews and Gentiles uh, didn't like one another. In fact, that's probably an understatement. Uh, They despised one another. They despised one another. One writer makes this comment concerning the one another's here and the command to accept one another by Paul He says this, in the context, the one another represented those from conservative, religious, Jewish backgrounds who ate only kosher meat or meat prepared according to the Levitical law, Old Testament law, who carefully observe Jewish holy days according to the law that they grew up under and who had been taught from childhood not to defile themselves with any contact with Gentile dogs, which is really how they saw them. They, they would even go out of their way not to walk through Gentile towns because they didn't want to pick up the dust from the Gentile town on their feet and defile themselves. But this group also included Gentiles. <laughs> and what's their background? From pagan, idolatrous backgrounds who had no problem eating any kind of food set before them, and who thought that the Jews were a bunch of legalistic, hyper-religious prudes. In other words, the other person whom you are to accept is precisely the person who is radically different than you are in almost every way. Huh? So, beloved, we we don't uh, necessarily have a a Gentile-Jewish split in the church, right? We are, I think, predom- I say, yeah, probably all, I don't know, predominantly Gentile here, right? Yeah? Okay. But we are not without our differences, right? So there's a sense, I mean, we, we are raised in different backgrounds and different cultures. Uh, uh, we look different, uh, some of us smell very different. Uh, uh, 
we act differently, we think differently, we don't, we don't all see things the same way on every issue, right? Uh, we come from different backgrounds. And so within even the Gentile community, there are a great deal of differences, okay? And so we can, we can apply this to ourselves because this does speak directly to us. Uh, even within the Gentile community, boy, they certainly have a hard time sometimes moving past those differences that shouldn't matter, right? That shouldn't matter, but they make them matter, and they shouldn't. And they should be united around Jesus Christ. Now let's look back at... Uh, by the way, just we're in our... We're in, I, just, I, I, I noted this, Revelation uh, chapter 5, 8 through 9. You know, we're studying Revelation, the book of Revelation on, on, on our growth groups, and I just, always, I just love this passage. It's kind of looking forward in the future in verse 9. Uh, John writes, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Christ, each holding a harp and, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so the church should reflect that reality. And you look around here, it, it, certainly, it certainly does. It certainly does by the grace of God. So back to Romans 15, 7. Uh, now we're picking it up there. Therefore, welcome one another. Okay, so he doesn't just say welcome one another, right? He doesn't end it there, but he says, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All right, now. A little bit of uh, technical stuff. The conjunction in the verse, look at your Bibles, translated as. See, therefore, welcome one another as. Christ has welcomed you. It's translated as in the ESV. That could indicate, that conjunction could indicate a comparison. A comparison. And therefore, taken to mean that we, or the command, this is Paul's command, that we are to welcome or accept one another in the same way Christ has welcomed or accepted us. Uh, So the idea would be we are to follow Christ's example in welcoming one another. You with me? And and some uh, Bible teachers take that position, and it's possible, certainly, that that's what it means, and then they'll 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 communicate to you what might that look like, how did Christ welcome us, and... And it's all beautiful and true. I just don't think that's what the conjunction is being used to mean, not a comparison. Because um, the conjunction can also be used to indicate a reason, a reason. Instead of a comparison, a reason. So uh, that would mean they were to welcome or accept one another because Christ has welcomed or accepted them or the you in the verse. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That's y'all, you know? Y'all, all of you. Right? Okay. Uh, that is both Jew and Gentile. Okay? Welcome everyone, Jew and Gentile, that has, by grace, been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The way they all, they all were saved. Uh, one translation of the Bible captures this idea that it's uh, the reason instead of a comparison. 
and that's uh, the NIRV, Romans 15, 7, just reads this way. Christ has accepted you, y'all, Gentile and Jew, so since he has, accept one another in order to bring praise to God. So Christian, is, this is, this is, I'm putting now this in my own words, you must not refuse to wholeheartedly accept the one that the Lord has wholeheartedly accepted. Even if they are quite different from you. Especially when it concerns secondary or non-essential matters like what one eats or drinks. Remember, Christ has wholeheartedly accepted us, all of us who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, on what basis did he accept us? You know, one writer says... Concerning this, because again, I think it's, it's not comparison, but Paul's giving the reason. But the writer, the commentator says, but we can't divorce the fact that he accepted us from the way he accepted us. It can't separate the two. So immediately as I begin to think about, yes, he has accepted them, I'm reminded he's not only accepted them, he's accepted me. How has he accepted us? On what basis? It's on the basis of grace. Grace unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness from God. Huh? Acceptance with God is not earned. Huh? But freely given. And so it should be with us as well in the body of Christ. You don't, you are not required to earn my acceptance in the body of Christ. At least you shouldn't be. So that means that in this situation specifically, on a non-essential issue concerning the days that are observed or what one eats or drinks, it shouldn't be that you first have to agree with me on that position before I will accept you wholeheartedly into the fellowship. You with me? And so eating and drinking are not our, typically our issues, but it could be something else. You don't necessarily think the way I think or act the way I act. And I'm talking about, not talking about sin, talking about non-essential issues, things that shouldn't matter or get in the way of our unity. Can you, I mean, think about it. From every tongue, tribe, and nation, all these people, it's beautiful what God does in his church. He, by his grace, brings them all in, and they unite around what? The color of their skin, uh, what sports they like, how they talk, they unite around Christ. At least they're supposed to. Some, some uh, commentators here. Their notes I found helpful. One writer says this, just to drive this home a little more, when Christ has accepted someone, are we to say that we will not take him as a Christian brother? Huh? I mean, beloved, you know, we're, you know, a little bit removed from uh, uh, segregation, but in the church at one time, that's exactly what they did. Just giving a real example within our own history. Huh? 
I won't accept you as a brother because your skin color is different. Are you kidding? But we, we could do it on all kinds of other things. That's, that's what's insane. So like I told you before, there are churches uh, who unite around whether they homeschool or not. And if nothing wrong, hey, I home, and I've told you before, I homeschool my kids, so I'm, not, I'm definitely not anti-homeschool. Uh, well, we public and home, yeah, so we did both. So I'm good on both sides, right? Okay. Uh, they unite around that, and then I've seen this. I've seen this. And then the public school families come in, and they're not like us. And they're, they may not say, you're not accepted into the fellowship, but there certainly can be a feeling as if they're not accepted into the fellowship because they don't homeschool their kids. Are you crazy? Yeah, we are. We are absolutely nuts. That's why we need the Word of God to constantly challenge us, transform us as we come under it and repent of our sin. Hmm? All right. How about another one? And this one I really like. Let this one sit with you a little bit. Mutual love, that's love of one another, ought to reign supremely in a church wholly composed of the Lord's well-beloved. Huh? So, that's good. That's real good. I like that. Uh, One more. Go a couple more. He accepted us. We are to accept one another. It should not be too difficult to extend the hand of friendship to the one who is loved by the one we honor and worship. We might say, any friend of his huh, is a friend of mine. This spirit of brotherly kindness will bring praise to God who makes it all possible in the first place. huh? Any friend of his is a friend of mine. Anyone he loves, you know, and see, this is what's crazy. So you'll, you, you know, we'll stand up, we'll worship, oh, Lord, I love you, I love you, and then not extend that love to the one he loves? Man. And so, you know, most of the stuff written in the New Testament is addressing problems in the church, just to let you know. So that, I mean, that's the reality, Right? Because the church is filled with people saved by grace, right? Being transformed. But guess what? They're still a mess. They're still a mess. And, and so we're thankful to God for all that mess because it, it, it caused the, the, the apostles to write letters to address those messes. And those messes, uh, we see them in our own lives today. They're still applicable to the 21st century. Well, and finally, one writer says, if Christ received both, and he did, Jew and Gentile, They are bound to receive each other. So, uh, looking back at verse 7, Paul says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. When we wholeheartedly accept one another in Christ, guess what? We honor God. We honor God. We glorify Him. We bring Him honor. Uh, One writer says this, nothing glorifies God as much as the unity of his children, which alone is in harmony with his essential will of love. Another uh, pastor is pointing out that 
we often think to glorify God or to do that, that we have to do something uh, spectacular, like go to the mission field uh, or perform some exceptional spiritual feat. But uh, Paul says that to glorify God, we should accept those who are different than we are. <laughs> you know, why don't you just start there? You want to honor God? You want to go, I want to do something great with my life. Then wholeheartedly accept your brother and sister that you've been ostracizing in the, in the, in the fellowship right there in your local fellowship. Why don't you embrace them? Why don't you start? That'd be a great play. You want to glorify? I'm with you. Glorify God. Embrace your brother and sister in Christ. Care for them. Love on them. They're, they're, they're different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So? That shouldn't matter. That shouldn't get in the way. You're different. <laughs> you know? I mean... Okay? One writer says this, God's glory was promoted when Christ received us sinners. Yes, it was. And it is further advanced when we, who are by nature sinners and wrapped up in our own concerns, instead receive our brothers and sisters in Christ with warmth and love. Now, Following Paul's command, and this is, we'll get a little technical here again, and that was really the, the, the exhortation for you to think through and to meditate on and to repent as needed. Uh, following that command in verse 7 is a set of uh, verses that, are, that point to the ministry of Christ and its purposes. The ministry of Christ and its purposes. Uh, these verses basically emphasize the gracious work of Christ in saving not only the Jew, remember the context, but also the Gentile, and placing them together on equal footing in the body of Christ. You can write down Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, if you want to look up a great passage later concerning these things. These verses uh, basically enlarge on the fact that Christ, that Christ acceptance of all, or of, of that reality, Christ acceptance of all, now Paul's going to enlarge on that idea. And it's, it's Christ acceptance of all that make up the body. One writer just says it this way, these next verses that we're going to read. Christ has acted to bring God's blessing to both Jews, verse 8, and Gentiles, 9a, in fulfillment of Scripture. And those are the remaining verses. And that's what we're going to see. So look back at uh, your copy of God's Word at verse 8. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read and I'm going to to pause. I'm going to pause and do some ongoing uh, commentary to explain that to you, okay? Beginning in verse 8, Paul says this after the command, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Who's that? Who do you think? To the Jew. Uh, Circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Genesis 17, and Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, okay? For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, a servant. He was a servant to the Jews in his role as the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, okay? For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show... God's truthfulness, the way the ESV translates it, uh, or on behalf of the truth is another way you could translate that. 
uh, or to show that God's promises are true, to show that God's promises are true. And in his role as the Jewish Messiah or as the servant to the circumcised, two purposes were fulfilled, two purposes. The first purpose that was accomplished through Christ's ministry as the Jewish Messiah is this. In order to confirm the promises, covenant promises that God made with the nation of Israel, given to the patriarchs, that is, given by God to the Jewish patriarchs or forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the first purpose. Okay? Second purpose, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, for his mercy. So let me, uh, let me walk you through something here that I thought was done very well by a, a Bible scholar, and I'll just share his words with you, and we'll look up a couple of passages. But he points this out, and this is good background as we think through what Paul's communicating here. Uh, God had made covenants... Only with Israel. Only with Israel, right? So and we, if, you've, if you've gone through the book of Romans, you know that. Uh, you'll see that in Romans chapter 9, verse 4. He made covenants only with the nation of Israel, not with the Gentiles or the other nations. Okay? So, for instance, uh, if you flip, flip to the right a little bit, let's see, to Ephesians. Sorry, I didn't even tell you where to go. Just a little bit to the right. A couple books to the right. Uh, Paul here in chapter 2 of Ephesians in, in uh, verse 11. He's speaking to the Gentiles now, and he says this, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of who? Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And boy, thank God for verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, in that Jewish Messiah, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by his sacrificial death on our behalf. So the, the commentator goes on, he says, so God had no covenantal promises to confirm to the Gentiles. He didn't make any with them. And any spiritual blessings then that came to the Gentiles spring solely from the mercy of God. Nevertheless, God had eternally purposed to bless the Gentiles, that's us folks, spiritually through the Lord Jesus as their Messiah and through his covenant with Israel, with Israel. You might remember in, in uh, Genesis 12, 3, when, when that covenant is being expressed uh, to Abraham by God, Again, repeated and expanded in chapter 15 and again in 17. But there, spoken to Abraham, 
Something beautiful is said there. God says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Shall be blessed. Salvation's going to come through the Jews. I've covenanted with them. The Messiah will be Jewish. I'm going to give them this Messiah. He will be their king. But in you, Israel, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Aren't we uh, uh, grateful for that? And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul pulls that verse out of Genesis, and he says this, Know then that is those of faith, who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, make them right with God by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Remember, uh, Paul, Paul's really capturing a couple of ideas here, right? So he's talking about this, Jesus came as a servant to the circumcision. As his role as Jewish Messiah, he was the servant of the circumcised, okay? So in a sense, he's reminding the Gentiles once again, hey, don't forget, salvation comes from the Jews. It comes from the Jews, okay? But... In that salvation, in that promise, in that covenant made with Israel, you have mercy. You found mercy because God had intended all along that he would have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Through the Jewish Messiah, he would bring in a great number of Gentile believers by faith. So Gentiles, it's kind of like going back to Romans. Don't get too... I mean, don't get too haughty. Remember, the, the majority of the church in Rome at the time were the Gentiles. And again, here we go. Remember even in chapter 9 and 10 and 11, how he had to deal with the Gentiles and remind them that God's not done with Israel yet. He still has great plans for Israel. Don't be getting arrogant towards them, right? They are the branch. You come from that branch. Without them, you'd be nothing. And so here again, he goes, look, we have this Jewish Messiah and, and, and he came and he fulfilled his purpose and, and he had a couple of purposes. One was to, to, to verify the truthfulness of God. He made covenant promises with the nation. But there's another purpose. It's beautiful that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. His intention was to bring you guys together. What are you doing? Acting like a fool. Huh? Acting like a fool. One writer says this, it was in mercy to the Gentiles as it was in faithfulness to Israel that Christ became a servant for the benefit of both. Thank God. And then what we have in verses 9 through 12 is simply a a number of quotations from the Old Testament. And uh, not in this order, but one is from Deuteronomy, and that came under the the Old Testament was divided into kind of... uh, Three sections. So you had the law, the prophets, and the writings. Or sometimes they refer to it as the Psalms. Okay? The writings. Well, Paul now, these, these Old Testament passages he refers to, one's from Deuteronomy, that's the law. One's from Isaiah, that's the prophets. And two are from the Psalms, that's the writings. So in reality, what most commentators point out is Paul's basically taken a sample 
from the entire Old Testament to basically say the entire Old Testament teaches this reality. So one writer says this, Paul cites every part of the Old Testament to show that the inclusion of Gentiles with Jews in the praise of God has always been part of God's purposes. Stop going against God's purposes. Accept one another. Wholeheartedly embrace one another. Another writer says this, in support of the universal scope of God's redemptive work, universal, through Christ his Son, Paul cited these four Old Testament scriptures. Now let's read them. We'll just read them and I'll... Um, and then we'll make some comments. So beginning in verse 9, the second part of verse 9, Paul now, to support what he just said, says this, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's from Psalm 18. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, that's from Isaiah. <laughs> the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse. What is that's a, a messianic title. It's a messianic title. Jesse was David's daddy. King David, okay? Through whose line David the Messiah came, the King, Christ Jesus. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. The Messiah will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So let me just kind of point out what I think is going on. There's a sense of progression. Progression as you move from one Old Testament quotation to the next. So it begins with a psalm that David wrote, the king of Israel, where he vowed to praise God among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles. Uh, One writer comments that Israel, and this is true, was to be the instrument through whom God's redemptive work would extend to the world, the nations, to the Gentiles. And so maybe that's what's being communicated there. You have David praising God. He's making him known among the Gentiles. Next, the reference is to the Gentiles, being exhorted by Moses, because that's what's going on in Deuteronomy, to rejoice in God with his people. Okay? So first we have, he's praising God among the nations. Now the nations are exhorted to join in with Israel, the Jewish people, God's people, in praising God. And I like what uh, one commentator says this, what the old text or the Old Testament text calls on the Gentiles to do uh, through God's mercy to them in the gospel they are able to do. And that is join Israel in praise of God. Beloved, the Gentiles were pagans, okay? Idolaters. They hated the God of Israel. They hated the nation of Israel. But by God's grace and through the Jewish Messiah... He has drawn unto himself a people for his own possession. He is drawn from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you're part of that drawing. You're part of that drawing. And he has drawn you together and transformed you, changed you, that you might join with the people of God in praising Almighty God for his grace and favor. 
Third, Paul cites another reference, really just another one, that calls all the Gentiles to extol or praise the Lord. And then in the final verse, the prophet Isaiah predicts the rise and rule of the Messiah, the root of Jesse, and that the Gentiles would come to live under that rule and place their hope in him. Just as Israel had been and just as Israel will one day live under that rule and place their hope in him, also the Gentiles are called to join with them. And it's by his grace and mercy and through this Jewish Messiah that we are enabled to do that very thing. Uh, One writer just comments, thus the Messiah would be simultaneously the root of Jesse, the Jewish Messiah, and the hope of the nations. Again, beloved, again, he's saying all that to really drive home his point in his exhortation that they're to accept one another. And again, that accepting of one another, remember, it's written to a Jewish and Gentile audience. And so he goes back, he looks at the scriptures, he pulls them out, and he says, you guys, it was always God's intentions to bring you together as one people, to redeem you by his grace and through faith in that Messiah. What are you doing? What are you doing? Embrace one another, wholeheartedly accept one another, and don't let these issues that shouldn't divide you, divide you, okay? That's a big picture kind of stuff. And then finally, as he did in, at the end of the last section, he just, you know, he just mentioned the, the hope, right? He spoke of hope, that the Gentiles would hope in him. So speaking of hope, Paul now prays and records it for us, He prays to the God of hope on behalf of the church in Rome. It's kind of his his closing prayer here. And he says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, overflow in hope. Paul does not want their differences among them, and there were differences, and there always would be differences, to steal their joy and peace from them. Beloved, God God has not called us to be exactly the same, but he has called us to be one. God has not called us to be uniform in in all the ways that we think, in all the things that we like or don't like. He has not called us to that. He has called people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And here, you see it, the contrast so strong in that Jew and Gentile. You couldn't get more different than that. And yet God has brought them together as one. I mean, how does that work? By grace, by transformation, by, by a love that God gives to the believer, enables him to exercise or manifest toward others. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. But when we walk in the flesh, we ruin this. When we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill it. One writer commenting on that says, in another prayer wish, the final prayer wish for the believers in Rome, it says he did prior in 15, 5, and 6, Paul asked God to grant to them the joy and peace that comes only through believing his glorious gospel. Yes, they have different convictions regarding certain non-essential matters, but those differences should not rob them of the hope that is theirs through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, so beloved, uh, people thought, you know, this, this, was, this was really the issue. I mean, it was a primary issue in the first century church. 
the Jews, God had to do some incredible things just to convince the Jewish people, the, the ones who were coming to faith in Christ, that he now was embracing Gentiles. I mean, they were like, wait a minute, this can't be right. I mean, these guys, how could God, I don't understand, right? There were, they had discussions about this. God did some amazing things to demonstrate the reality that they are now part of the covenant family. They're part of the, the new family of God. He brings them together, Jew and Gentile, into the church. It was glorious. And so you see, as you read the epistles, many times, even Ephesians, Galatians, all these, these things are being addressed, this Jewish-Gentile context. But again, you know, here, we don't have that, but we certainly, as I said, find other reasons to, uh, to divide, to not like one another, to separate. It just shouldn't be so. It just shouldn't be so. The church should be uh, a reflection of God's work in Christ through the gospel. And what that means is all kinds of different folks coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, economic, educational, race, young, yes, old, coming together as one in Jesus Christ for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you. Oh, I thank you for the church. And as a Gentile, I thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for the Jewish Messiah that you promised to the nation of Israel and fulfilled that promise according to your perfect plan and timetable. I thank you that through him I can become a child of Abraham and receive the spiritual blessings of the covenant that you made with the nation of Israel. Father, we are so grateful. May we now, who find ourselves in different times, but still living as people who are still caught up by our sin at times, Father, help us to be united as one. Help us to accept, to wholeheartedly embrace those whom Jesus Christ has embraced. For your glory, Father. And for our good. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.